Hello and welcome to the United Launch Alliance Vulcan Centaur podcast. I'm Derek Brecken and I'll be your host over the course of this series as we sit down with the team bringing ULA's newest rocket to life. My name is Chris Larson. I am the Systems Engineering Integration and Test Lead for the Vulcan's Upgrade Team. My role is really as a as a systems or a CIT lead. Um, it's really to make sure all the pieces come together correctly. There's a, a lot of groups that are doing a lot of great things as far as their individual area of expertise, but sometimes how they all fit together gets missed. And so my job really is, believe it or not, it's a lot of times to ask the stupid question that everybody in the room is afraid to ask. Um, I think where CIT leads or systems engineers provide the most value is we're not afraid to ask those dumb questions just so everybody in the room could hear the answer and we're making sure everybody is actually putting thought into what they're doing and they're communicating with the other person that's sitting next to them. Well, in this case, on the other line. How is the role of a systems engineer different from the role of, say, a more targeted or specific engineer here at ULA? Well, a, a targeted or specific engineer, they're really responsible for a single function or a single, let's say, a prop designer. They're, they're responsible for de- designing the vent systems or the, or the pressurization systems. Um, and then you have your structural engineers who are responsible for designing the actual structure. Uh, where the systems engineer, we don't have that kind of depth of knowledge into those areas. But what we do have is, is we're responsible for seeing the bigger picture, the thousand foot level, a little bit of depth, but a lot more breadth in, in the understanding of how it all comes together. And that's really where our niche is. And I mentioned before, we, we, I'll keep going back to this, sometimes ask the dumb questions because we don't have that depth of knowledge, but we do know enough to know what questions to ask um, and make sure that the communication is happening correctly and really to make sure that nothing's falling through the cracks. Talk to me a little bit about your work with Centaur 5 in the upper stage. Um, so specifically about what I do. So right now, I'm kind of doing two functions. One is I'm an integrator for the CAT-C upgrades program, the category C, LSA category C upgrades. Um, and as part of that function, we are, we're upgrading the Centaur stage to capture a couple new missions. Um, and as the integrator of that, like, like I mentioned before, really my job is to see where we need to get and how we need to get there and then help kind of steer the, the team along the path making the right decisions at the right time. A lot of reverse engineering kind of from a, a future state or from a, you know, a mission standpoint. You know what? It actually really is that way where, where we have this, this goal in mind where we need to hit. And I, I know kind of what exactly not only ULA's success criteria says we need to do to get there, but also um, in order to be successful, the product has to be delivered in, in a certain form. So backing off of that, what steps do we need to do early with that end goal in mind is really that long range vision, that, that higher kind of vision that I mentioned earlier. Um, so let's back up a little bit and talk a little bit about the role that Centaur uh, 5 and Centaur Upper Stage plays uh, during the mission. So when people are watching the rocket after the booster separation, yeah, th- that's really when uh, Centaur 5 takes over, correct? Yes, correct. So I, I, this, is, this is kind of an interesting question. With not a precise answer, I think if you ask 10 people this question, you'll get 10 completely different answers. Um, but what my view of what Centaur's goal is, is it's, or what Centaur does, is it's really an extremely efficient 
propulsive energy source, right? Centaur's job once the booster leaves is, or once it separates from the booster, is we are we are at point A and we need to get to point B, and it essentially guides us there. It it gives us the energy we need to get to that point. Um, the other important aspect of Centaur is Centaur is really the brains of the launch vehicle. It provides essentially everything we need to do in order to get from A to B. It's all kind of wrapped up in the brains of Centaur. So when we're looking at this, this tight cluster of, of where we're placing our customers' assets in space, Centaur yeah. is really the, yeah. the mechanism for that. Exactly. And there, well, there's a couple of other key, unique aspects of Centaur that I'm not sure anybody else has covered. But Centaur, um, what Centaur physically is, is it's a very thin-walled pressure vessel, right? Think of like a, a Mylar balloon. It's essentially a, a mylar balloon on steroids where it's not structurally stable without being pressurized. So it's, we call it a pressure-stabilized vessel, but because of that, it requires some very unique venting and pressurization systems to go along with that to make sure we're regulating that pressure. So physically, that's what Centaur is. Um, kind of on a more broad sense, it's, it's the brains of, of the whole operation. Does Centaur 5's role change based on the type of mission? Um, as far as the role that Centaur plays uh, in the whole operation, uh, one of the key factors, and, and I'll reference something a mentor told me of mine maybe five years ago when I first started my systems engineering career, and it kind of always stuck with me that the real job of the booster is to, to get as much altitude as possible, but the real job of Centaur itself is to get as much speed as possible. And that kind of always stuck with me. And I know it oversimplifies the equation, but it really, from a, from a, like a rule of thumb uh, concept or perspective, uh, that's really how you can simplify Centaur's um, function down, down to pretty basic building blocks. And, and what does the role that speed plays in this variable or in this equation, how does that, how does that assist in the overall mission? Well, speed gets you your orbit, right? You need, you need the right speed to get to the right orbit. Um, so that's really, that's how it plays into that. And you need that, you need the uh, pretty decent energy source to get you that speed, especially when you're considering the, the size of payloads that we're lifting. And so would you say that's kind of the biggest upgrade uh, in Centaur 5 is its performance? Oh, by far. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're going, if you remember, Centaur 3 is a, a much, much smaller upper stage than Centaur 5 is. So it, Centaur 5 carries with it a tremendous amount more energy than Centaur 3 did. Are there future iterations of Centaur 5 in development? There is only one iteration of Centaur right now, but um, I don't think I ever finished this question, but my initial job is a CAT-C integrator. My other job is this, the see it lead for the upper stage team. But as the CAT-C integrator, um, that w that's the next evolution of the Centaur 5, right? So we, we've developed the Centaur 5 for the initial phases of Vulcan. But then there's a few other key missions that we need to develop the performance to meet. And that's going to be the CAT-C upgrades um, version of, of Centaur. And there is really, it, it takes what Centaur is today and just really adds on a few kittable solutions and, and optimizes the mass a little bit in order to enable us to meet some of those uh, a little bit more performance-stressing cases. What is the most exciting development or, or, or project that you've worked on so far in relationship to Vulcan? Well, this is 
I'll, I'll answer this in two parts. Um, the most exciting thing that we've worked on so far as part of that upgrades team is really on-ramping a new reaction control system. It's, it's kind of a unique, different way of, of doing reaction control or doing attitude control of the upper stage where we're using um, the old gases that exist within the propellant tanks, something that we would normally throw away, and now we're using them to actually provide, um, in this case, just settling for the tank. Um, so that's the, that's the thing I'm most excited about what we're doing right now. The reason I'm most excited about it is it seems relatively simple, but it's such a complex integrated solution. It provides a lot of areas for me to engage and me to help drive that solution. So that's that's really why I enjoy that one. Um, the second part to that answer is the fact that we are, we will be taking that first step to on-ramping that attitude control system and in the, in the future be upgrading it to a, um, a system that doesn't just do axial settling, but instead it does, it takes over all of the reaction control, does the axial settling as well as the attitude control. And that just brings a tremendous amount more complexity that uh, we're just starting to uncover. So that's, it's actually really exciting. And reaction control is the ability for the vehicle to kind of adjust in real time to the conditions it's it's seeing. It provides your, it corrects in pointing. Um, It gives you just a small amount of propulsive energy to, to either rotate the vehicle or turn the vehicle. Very, very small amount of energy, though. I mean, we're talking about these thrusters are on on the order of um, 10 to 20 pounds of thrust, which is which is tiny when you think about it, especially how much the stage actually weighs. But kind of has but like a big overall impact. Not, not need, Yeah, that, that huge impulse is not needed when you're talking about those, those small maneuvers. You've had the opportunity to uh, work on commercial crew. Tell me a little bit about that process and and what that's been like. I worked on commercial crew for about a year and a half. And it was really where I was able to kind of grow as an engineer and stretch my wings a lot more than than I had anticipated. I had just lucked out with the kind of mission manager that was running the program at the time. So as part of that program, though, I really, they handed me the, the interface control document with the customer and said, here, this is yours. It's been started. Uh, take it to the end. That is such a unique program with some unique, very unique interfaces and characteristics that we, I guess we had as a team had to figure out how we were going to solve some of these integrated problems. And one that comes to mind is the automated destruct system. If things were to go wrong, we had to get the crew away and we had to destroy the vehicle in such an efficient manner that we didn't endanger the lives of the crew. When you're talking about that auto-destruct system, the handoffs that are going, were going back and forth between the spacecraft and the launch vehicle, we were sequencing those in milliseconds. And it's, it's not abnormal to sequence stuff like that in milliseconds for, for avionics and software, but um, typically it doesn't go back and forth from a customer to, to ULI. So fine-tuning that and how it was actually going to work and overcoming some pretty big hardware hurdles at the time uh, was was fascinating and intriguing, and that's kind of how I cut my teeth as a systems engineer. I can imagine that the responsibility is is great working on any you yeah. know uh, mission that's going to be headed to space, but I can imagine that it's even more magnified when human life is at stake and you're responsible in in um, yeah. You know, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I can actually. That's that's an interesting question, and I think it's interesting because 
two reasons. One is ULA is, in my experience, very unique in the way we treat our customers that, yes, the commercial crew program is takes it to the next level and how you have to engage with your customer and kind of the, the, the weight or the heaviness of what you're doing. We understand that their payload is extremely valuable and our job is to really not mess it up for them. But commercial crew takes that to the next level and just being part of that team that when you look at it as, as the bigger picture that we're actually going to be flying humans on top of this, on the top of this launch vehicle, like I mentioned, it brings a different weight and a different heaviness. And what I think ULA is really, really good at is, is not only understanding that, but uh, treating it appropriately and giving it the, the respect it deserves and not trying to cut corners and acknowledging that, hey, we found an issue and we're going to not try to come up with the easiest solution, but we're going to try to come up with the best solution that works for not only us, but works for our customer as well. And so I think ULA is, that's where ULA really thrives and really ex- excels. So I had a conversation with um, Mark Peller about, you know, kind of the future of, yeah. of Vulcan and the program and ULA and, and his response when I asked the question of, you know, what is, yeah. or what does Vulcan mean to the future of ULA? And he said, it is the future of ULA. <laughs> um, Which is a good answer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so where do you see Vulcan bringing ULA uh, in the next five years or 10 years? Um, very different answers between five and 10 years. I think, I hope one, the first in the very near term, once we start launching Vulcan is that it brings ULA a little bit more prestige in the social media and just the media world itself. Uh, it feels like we're treated more like, uh, the old aerospace and not really the, the kind of cutting edge aerospace that's out there, even though we are on the cutting edge of a lot of stuff we're doing. So in the very near term, I I hope that it brings us a little bit more prestige in that respect. Um, but also just in the 10 year run, this having a single stick launch vehicle that is, has the capabilities that it has just unlocks enormous potential for chasing down different, uh, avenues of spacecraft and and missions um the centaur alone and we'll go back to the centaur centaur stage the way it's architected and the way that it's been developed for the for the base vehicle program has some huge potentials that are really untapped if we kind of slightly change the way we we actually run the stage or utilize the stage there are some huge potentials here to to chase down a tremendous amount of performance. Thanks for listening to United Launch Alliance's Vulcan Centaur series. For our final episode of the series, we'll hear from ULA's president and CEO, Tori Bruno, as we discuss what it will be like to watch the Vulcan Centaur take flight for the first time. If you'd like to stay up to date with ULA news and events, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at ULA Launch.